Well, good morning and welcome to Beatitudes Church live podcast. Uh, we apologize for the technical difficulties. We thought about letting you see us sitting here mouthing words that you couldn't hear anything about. <laughs> we're making gestures. Yeah, we we, making. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> we were having video, I mean, uh, audio problems. So that was, uh, but we got it fixed. And so we're glad yeah. that you have chosen to join Janelle, Janelle and I here this morning. And we hope you're enjoying your Sunday morning and anticipate a wonderful week ahead. Yeah, spring is here. Yes. How are you doing? Good. Really good. Had a great weekend, I hope, up to this point. Yes. It was kind of windy yesterday. We were outside a lot, but it was exciting. Good. Well, I'm glad you're here today because I can make it worse for you. Oh, so. really? <laughs> Let's play. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's that laugh. And we want to welcome Brett. Brett, welcome to Church of the Beatitudes, our live podcast. Brett has been here before with us. He's our guitarist. And we also want to thank our tech crew, uh, Andrea yeah. and Ryan. They are the ones that make all this happen. So thank you to both of them. So Janelle, what, what, uh, what, what do you have going on over there? I want to first of all say good morning and to let you know that we are monitoring our Facebook feed and our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And you can comment and make questions at the end of the uh, message for us to uh, respond to directly. And you can also text your questions and comments. And you want to text it to 480-389-4974. And if you're watching this after the fact, when it's no longer live, but you're watching the replay, we are happy to respond to your questions and comments through email. So you can drop an email to me at media at beatitudeschurch.org. Yeah, and thank you for the new sign, Janelle. Janelle designed that much. for us. and <laughs> I think it looks pretty good. Yeah. All right. So... This morning, I would like to start with some scripture. Yeah, today's uh, text is a parable, I believe, right? It is. It comes to us from Luke 16, 1 to 9, and there's a twist at the end that you want to try and listen for. This is the story of the crooked manager. Hmm. I think we all know somebody like that. Mm. (laughs) Jesus said to his disciples, There once was a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. Hmm. So he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired. And I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I have a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then, when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their houses. Then he went in at it. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He replied, A hundred jugs of olive oil? The manager said, here, take your bill, 
sit down here, quick now, write 50. To the next he said, and you, what do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill, write in 80. Now, here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials, so you'll live Really live and not complacently just get by on good behavior. And another thing I would like you to reflect upon is this quote as you're listening to Pastor Tony this morning. A person wrapped up in himself makes a pretty small package. Survivor. It's hard to believe that 21 years ago, I watched my first season of Survivor. It's been going on for 20 years. 40 seasons have taken place. The motto is quite simple. Three words, actually. Outwit, outplay, outlast. Outwit has the idea of a strategy of scheming to get yourself ahead in the game. Outplay comes with the idea of being manipulative, manipulative, getting people to do things that will be for your betterment. Also with the idea of outplaying is you need to assimilate your allies. You need to bring people together to, to work for your good. And then it's outlast. And this is where it becomes really interesting because those allies that at the very beginning of the game that you would put together, well, eventually you're going to have to start casting them aside. Why? Because if you want to win that $1 million, you have to be the sole survivor. In the text that Jennifer, I mean, Janelle read for us this morning, I imagine that the character in that parable was playing his own game of survivor. Here's a man who couldn't be trusted except to do whatever was in his own selfish interest. He's simply an accountant who's made a mess of his job, is told to put his books in order before he's turned out, and who, 
proceeds to swindle his employer by calling in his debtors and writing off much of their obligations. The idea, the reason he does that, is to make himself friends whose friendship he can use once he's back out on the streets. This man's objective is really quite simple, survive. And he believed that the greatest chance of survival is to take care of yourself and what is yours first and foremost. So my question this morning is, was he right? Is, the, is, is survival the purpose of life? When the time comes and you are lying on your deathbed and contemplating your life, is what will bring a smile on your face the knowledge that you survived? Or are you looking for a greater sense of purpose, something more meaningful, something more than just mere survival? To help us answer these questions, I would like to examine three characteristics of this man in Jesus' parable. Number one, he was so self-centered that he couldn't really see anyone else unless he could see, use them. Number two, he was so preoccupied with his own needs that he made them the measure of his life. And then lastly, number three, he was so nervous about his future that he could think of only his personal survival. So let's begin with his self-centeredness and with ours. Pause and consider a newborn baby. Their life is, is a very, very narrow world, self-centered, no doubt, whose interests range little beyond the next feeding and a dry diaper. But that infant so quickly learns that someone else must be admitted to his or her private world a mother. The child cannot survive without her. And eventually, as time passes, that little infant circle begins to widen still further to include a father, perhaps, siblings, and other children. And the world gets very complicated unless one can move beyond just being wrapped up in oneself and not welcoming others into one's life. But unfortunately, there are many who never outgrow this self-centeredness. This week I reflected and wondered if this kind of self-centeredness may not be the end result in American society because of our emphasis upon individualism. We all like our individuality. The problem is this. We have withdrawn into our own private worlds and seem increasingly eager to believe, I don't need anyone else. This kind of withdrawal leads to partisanship that increasingly distinguishes our political life. It's what causes us to build high fences 
around our homes and borders around our nations to avoid neighborly annoyances. It's what turns us away from reading or listening to other people's ideas. It is by our actions we have come to believe that we don't need anybody else. But this is so far from the truth. We do need somebody else. We cannot be human unless we live with others in community. And perhaps we have forgotten the wider meaning of this truth, especially today. Nations also need one another and simply must live with other nations in community. One man who understood this quite well was named Viktor Frankl. He was a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. And out of that terrible experience, he wrote, we are meant to love people and use things too much. Do we love things and use people? The second characteristic of this man in Jesus's parable was that he was so preoccupied with his own needs that he made them the measure of his life. Now, personally, I don't like cliches. They often suggest easy ways of understanding a very complicated world. Yet I am inclined to agree with the notion that Americans are increasingly preoccupied with entitlements and entertainment. And both alike focus upon the question, what will you do for me? Quite a while ago, Neil Postman authored a book with a very, very intriguing title, Amusing Ourselves to Death. In it, he suggests that Las Vegas has become something of a metaphor for our American aspirations. After all, Las Vegas is a city entirely devoted to entertainment, to getting something we haven't earned, and to making our happiness the focus of our lives, which means life is measured by how much fun you're having. But the problem with this tendency is that it suggests that we are all wrapped up in ourselves. After all, the point of entertainment is quite simple, to make us feel good without having to be good. And finally, the last characteristic of this man in Jesus's parable. He was so nervous about his future that he could only think of his personal survival. Now that idea, however deep-rooted in the distant past, clearly shapes our modern world. Nervousness about the future is frequently rooted in the unknown and the feeling like one is losing control. With so many unknowns in realizing how quickly life can change, many of us try to take as many steps as possible right now to assure our survival both financially and physically in the future. 
Yet the certainty we desire continues to elude us. So to me, it seems quite clear from looking at this man's three characteristics that this fellow in the parable was mostly interested in one thing and one thing only, survival. And that's exactly what happens when you're only wrapped up in yourself. At any cost to his integrity, he simply, simply wanted to survive. His ambition seemed to be little more than his safety. Now, when anyone gets fixed on that notion, other people become only objects to be used. As a matter of fact, when nations become preoccupied with only safety and survival, they too can lose sight of the wider community of nations and focus only on narrow self-interest. I wonder how this man Jesus, who told such eccentric stories that we call parables, might have responded to our generation's preoccupation with safety and self-centeredness. Remember, it was this man, Jesus, who said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. And he who can give his life away in service to others will find it. The reality is all our lives from the moment of our births are lived on uncertainty and insecurity. That, that is why faith has always been the dominant theme of great religions. Now, this isn't faith as a bunch of beliefs, but it's the kind of faith that is a trustful way of living. The only safety we have as individuals or as nations is not in raw individualism. Rather, it is in friendship. The only security we have is in building trustful relationships. And the point is this. You and I, we are not called simply to be survivors. We are called to be saviors. Jesus is purported to have said, take up your cross and follow in my way. Now, a cross is not a symbol of a survivor. It is the mark of someone who is willing to give their life in caring for the well-being of other people. In the latter years of the 19th century, there were two sets of brothers whose names have been etched on American history, both of whom had the same last names, James. But it is in name only that these two sets of brothers were alike. You see, the first brothers with the last name James were outlaws. Perhaps you've heard of them, Jesse and Frank James. They have been romanticized in film and, fi and fiction. The fact is, they had embarked upon a life of crime 
because the South had lost the Civil War. They did not heed the counsel of Robert E. Lee, who said, quoting, now is the time for reconciliation. Instead, they began robbing trains as much to disrupt the United States Postal Service as to gain personal wealth. Why? Because they saw themselves as victims and withdrew into a private world of vengeance. They became survivors of vengeance. The other set of brothers named James were sons of a Presbyterian minister. They too had known great disappointment. Their father, he had lost his leg in a tragic accident. They were raised in poverty, but neither one of them, neither one of them was infected with bitterness. William James worked his way through Harvard Medical School and became the most celebrated psychologist of his time and a pioneer of modern medicine. Henry James became the most celebrated novelist of his time, a master craftsman with words as Jesus must have been himself. These two James, these two James brothers, never felt themselves victims. They refused to focus upon just being survivors. They never asked, what will the world do for me? It was always, what can we do for the world? What can we do for others? And that, my friends, is the difference between a survivor and a savior. Allow me finally to introduce to you Paul Wittgenstein. He was a brilliant virtuoso pianist who ended up in the trenches in World War I, and unfortunately, he lost his right arm. Now there is cause for self-pity. There is reason to strike back against the world. There is reason to ask, what can I get others to do for me? But that's not what he asked. He decided to be a pianist still, and he was. And so impressed was Maurice Ravel by this man's spirit and genius that he wrote for him his celebrated Concerto in D for the Left Hand, a gift to Paul Wittgenstein. When you first hear this great work of art, it's hard to imagine that it could be played with just one left hand. Of course, a lot of things can be done with one hand if you are committed to care about other people. And a lot of things can be done if you are freed from being just wrapped up in yourself. And that 
That is the difference between being a survivor and a savior. So what are you going to be? It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, where you are in your journey in life, if you're towards the end, if you're establishing a career, if you're in the middle of a career. What is the purpose of your life? Is it just to survive? To get what you can when you can? Or are you willing to do more than that? To be more than that? Reflect on these things as you listen to this song.
Wow. Thank you so much, Brett. Can we just marinate in that a little longer? Yeah. Please? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was that fantastic. Is, that would be awesome uh, going to sleep music. I mean, that's so relaxing. <laughs> right? I think I want to take a nap. Uh, um, oh, but I think we yet. need to discuss yeah, a few yeah, things. Yeah, 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 please. Listening to your uh, message this morning got me to thinking. Um, I'm not sure I can choose one or the other. Why can't you just be both? Survive and... Be a savior. Be a savior. Both. When I think about survival of the fittest, mm -hmm. that wasn't always benevolent. Correct. But we're here because right, of it. Right. Well, and, and that's a great point, Janelle. That is, that's a very good point. I do wonder, though, if one of the reasons why caring for other people is still within us... Mm -hmm. is because that's how we did survive. You might have a very good point. True. Because if you were a loner and if mm -hmm. it was survival just for me, right? Right. Then you probably were gonna not going to make it back then. No. You were going to be on exactly. your own. And so that's where I think caring came in. And in some ways, so I guess you could call it the lone survivor versus mm -hmm. surviving for the greater community. Because okay. when the community, if your focus is upon caring for those that are around you, from your immediate family to your larger circle, yeah, then your caring for them will lead to your survival. That's true. Because Very they true. will be, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think you're close to ending up uh, where you're going to be dependent upon your children. But that could happen someday. <laughs> Right? I keep telling them that yes, <laughs> they will be choosing my nursing home. So, so, so that, but, but to a certain degree, I mean, just raw survival would be that you could look at your own children and think, okay, the reason why I'm going to be nice to them is because someday they have to I take hope, care of me. I hope they're going to be nice and take care of me. Right. <laughs> so the motive may not always be pure. Yes. But ultimately, I think by caring for other people. Do you think it was reinforced later um, when the idea or the concept of salvation came into play? So like <laughs> um, end times, your fate, um, whatever you want to call it, eschatology. Right. I. Doesn't that override when everything did, when and in make the world, you that? When in the world did you get smart? I mean. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you hired me. <laughs> what does that make you? <laughs> no comments. <laughs> right? I, I think you're dead on. Because if you look back into the Old Testament, Old mm -hmm. Testament was about your survival was dependent upon being a part of the larger community. Yeah. And, and so it was the people. Like, for example, the Day of Atonement. It was the people that it was their sins as a body, as a group of people Mm -hmm. That was cleansed on the Day of Atonement. Okay. So your salvation was very much wrapped up in the sense of the larger community. Right. But I, you're spot on in that with the New Testament, mm -hmm. we begin to see, in my opinion, especially maybe Paul. Well, I don't even know if that's true because mm -hmm. Paul talks about the body of Christ. Maybe it's later on that we begin to see in the early church fathers this sense of individualism and salvation is about me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I would I would most definitely agree that survival and my salvation is about me 
and I got to get my own first. Mm -hmm. and so then, that just makes it easier. Yeah. And then the reason why we go out and save others, mm -hmm. because then that is what I'm supposed to do for my survival. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Where does that put us? Can we be both? I think it, it's a matter of priorities. Mm. I mean, if, if you yeah. are so committed to other people, if you don't have boundaries in your life of where it's healthy boundaries yeah. of where people you allow people into your life and people that are toxic into your life, there has to be boundaries to that for your own survival. True. That I agree with 100 percent. True. But again, I think that the difference is the lone survivor, that mentality of, of almost a narcissistic sense of self. Okay. That to me is what I think um, this is all about. Okay. Yeah. Because that helps. My other question had to do with, um, at the end, you talked about the victim mentality that the two brothers had. Yes. And I would think that if we see ourselves as victims or entitled that's a tough mindset to overcome. Yes. So how do we do that? Well, before I answer, what do you think? I'm going to flip it back on you. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? How well, do you? I, I think I believe in salvation, so that might not be a... <laughs> no, no. But I mean, but do, so you believe that, so when you're saved, all of a sudden you're going to get rid of all those desires? Desires to what? What you just said, the idea, those, the vengeance, the sense of... Um, well, I would hope so. Well, again, and I guess that would go back to when I was a kid. And yeah. I grew up believing that to be saved, all these things would go away. And then as I got older, I began to think about that, that these patterns are mm -hmm. in our brains. So does something external come in and rewire me and change the, these these synapses and or is it something that takes time? And to me, one of the ways that that can take place yeah. is being around people who are focused upon caring about other people. I think it's kind of by Very osmosis true. that we find that if we're around people that are caring for us. Yeah. And if we're around a community that is caring for other people, mm -hmm. it kind of begins to rub off on us. It's contagious. Yeah. Yeah. And then in turn, we begin to do that for other people, I think. Nice. So to me, that you could call that salvation. You could call that this idea mm. of being saved. Yeah. But instead of seeing it as something that is external, maybe salvation ultimately comes from being a part of a community and mm. being with others rather than going it alone. That's interesting. Well, it's an idea. Yeah, I like it. So I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a question or a comment. Okay. Uh, as I was listening to your message, I see myself as a savior and a giver of hope and light mm. in both the chaos and the darkness in our broken world. I feel this parable that we shared this morning places a special call on my heart to set my needs aside and bring light into a world that is consumed by fear, sadness, insecurity, and anxiety. As you take on the role and responsibility of Savior, it is very easy to forgo care for yourself as you run the risk of focusing on caring for others that you neglect to care for yourself. 
Oh man, that that's very wise. Right? Yeah, that that's really good insight. I agree. I I think that is the balance because so I'll ask this question. Do you think mm-hmm. one of the reasons why people become so other focused and caring for others to the extreme and trying to, if you would, save other people from their problems and from their own emotions is because of selfish reasons? That they f- they get a certain amount mm. of, of fulfillment and a sense of... of ego I don't know by being think... other people's saviors and I, and you know when I was preparing this that's the one word I I was really debating about using what the word savior yeah because it's loaded. I, I yeah because <laughs> this idea being that somehow we're going to go out and save other people from their problems we can't I don't think we can do that and I do I no. the problem is I couldn't find another word to put in its place and 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 it was an s word so okay, survivor so. and savior, it, it got me. <laughs> Alliterated. Yeah, Alliteration, yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I kept thinking and going back to servant's heart, that it's more of a personality thing. And again, that idea, yes. That you have a servant's heart. Yeah, but. It, and not everybody does. Right. And I, again, I debated about using the word servant. But that word is so loaded mm-hmm. because to be a servant, I mean, I know we use it a lot in Christianity. Yeah. But to be a servant is basically, it's not a pleasant thing. It's usually not by choice. To be a servant is, you're probably not, not making much money, if any money at all. And well, so. Well, maybe that's history that's, that's tainted that. Exactly. And I don't, so. and that's the question that I continue to ponder is, can we continue to use these words mm. that are so loaded from the past? Yeah. That when we bring them in, we can't separate the baggage that comes with it. Right. So, I, yeah, it, it that Tr- was my conflict. Tradition and all that right. is, is glommed onto it. So Yeah, and I think that's, but I love what this person said, is that mm. if, if we are, I think we can have this compulsion to be a savior for other people. Yeah. And that really can end up being something that hurts us and hurts the other person. Rather than letting mm-hmm. that person thrive and grow, it's like the, uh, and I'm sure you're not, but the helicopter moms, you know, that just are always hovering over. I don't know, maybe we need to ask. <laughs> and not allowing their kids to grow up and to make the mistakes yeah. on their own. I mean, that's part of maybe really caring for other people. I agree. Is letting them be themselves. That's a balance. Yeah, it is. And it ultimately so. comes back to, I love what you just said, this sense of spirit, this sense of personality, this sense of, of yeah. feeling whole for yourself. Mm, nice. So, and that may be a good place to end. Okay. So <laughs> thank you, Janelle. You're welcome.